Blog Talk Radio. Let's stand together and let's sing. We're marking the sign. Come we that love the Lord and let our joy be known. Join in a song with the Lord. Join in a song with the Lord. And thus around the throne and thus around the throne. We're marching desires, beautiful, beautiful triumphs. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Let those refugees who never knew our God, the children of the heavenly king, the children of the heavenly king, they speak. Their joys abroad, they sing their joys abroad. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. The hill of Zion, the clouds and flowers sweet. Before we reach the heavenly field, before we reach the heavenly field, or walk the golden streets, or walk the golden streets, we march into Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, we march into Zion, the beautiful city of God. Then let our
Dan's coming home tomorrow. Not coming home, but he's coming back to at least to this area. He'll be in Paris tomorrow afternoon. Anybody? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Pray for my friend Pam White. My insurance friend Pam. All right. Miss Joanne, you okay? Yeah, I do. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Any other any other prayer requests before we go to the Lord's prayer this morning? All right, well, y'all pray for me. I need prayer this morning. Amen. Y'all pray for the power of God to rest on me this morning. Pray for God to use me this morning. Pray for you Pray for you to get something out of the message this morning. Uh, pray for God to meet with us and let's feel his presence here. Pray for God to work in us and through us as we go about our daily lives in this community. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. All right, turn to five forty two. We're going to sing, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, because it is. Amen.
we sang the last one? Oh, I don't know where I was at. I think sang it again, I guess. Amen. I don't think it's you. I think it's me. I think it's me. I especially take off into when we done sung. So anyway, praise God. Let's keep it going. 447. I, I tell you what, I guess I was. I was so caught up in it. I forgot what verse we was on. <laughs> Let's sing the Man on the Cross, 447. There's a royal banner given for the to the soldiers of the king. At the end fight there we while his ransom was leaving. Marching on, marching on, for Christ count everything was lost, and to crown him king, the toil and sea, neath the banners of the cross. So the bow may raise and gather at the foot of the center displayed, and beneath its fold as soldiers of the Lord, for the truth be not displayed. Marching on, on, marching on, for Christ count everything was lost, and to crown him king, we'll and sing, he's the banner of the cross. Over land and sea, wherever man may dwell, make the glorious tidings known. Of the crimson banner, now the glory fell, all the Lord shall claim his own. Marching on, marching on, for Christ held everything but lost. Right, we do can feel proudly. 
And that's the way we grew up. And other people might come up and say, I don't know, why do you do that? That's, that's wrong. You know, again, <clears throat> we have things in our lifestyle that we don't see and, and need to be corrected that we've grown up doing, perhaps, and just as they did. So so we're not too different from them. We're, we're all Gentiles in this room this morning. Well, actually, we're all part of the Lord's church. I longer consider Gentiles, but we were. Amen. Uh, and Paul wanted them to flee the things in their life that were holding them back, the wicked things in their life, and he's warned them to flee idolatry. He's warned them to flee anything that puts itself in front of God and comes before God. Anything there is called idolatry, whether we want to admit We talked about that in Sunday school. Even though we don't want to admit sometimes that we are being idolaters, we commit idolatry by putting things ahead of God in our life. And, and, and even if we don't want to call it that, that's what it is. In the Bible, he told he told them also to flee fornication, and it's a. I want you to understand what this letter is. First Corinthians is a response letter. Okay, they had written to Paul. They said, Paul, we got some questions. There's there's some things that we don't understand since we've been saved. We don't know what what's right about this or or what's wrong about this. Would you straighten us out on these things? So that's part of this. This letter is a response uh, to these to these issues. Uh, and some of them are such as uh, pleasing God and our parents, and that's what he's going to deal with uh, this morning. And uh, during the time that he that he writes this letter, Rome was in charge. All during the, the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and during the time that Paul is, is a missionary, uh, Rome, again, Rome's in charge. And you all have heard the expression, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? Okay, So that's that's how we know. First of all, Jesus didn't have long hair. It's because it would have, Jesus would have stuck out like a sore thumb in Roman culture with long hair. Somebody said, "Well, he was a Nazarene. Now, he was from he was from Nazarene, but Jesus did not have a Nazarite vow on him, so he was not to grow his hair long like Samson did because of the Nazarite vow. So we can't put that on him. The Bible tells us there wasn't anything about him to distinguish him uh, from anybody else. So we know that again, if he'd, if he'd been walking around with long flowing hair. Everybody would have said, that's something about him, something different. He's a little odd. So, again, in Roman culture, men had short hair and women had long hair. That's Roman culture, okay? And that's the culture of the world that this is happening and taking place in at that time. And so we're going to see this morning now here in that meeting. And before I get started on this, I'm not mad at anybody. And I know women are looking around, he's talking about me, he's talking about me. He's talking, no, I'm not talking about anybody in here this morning, okay? So understand, I understand everybody in here. I can see how long everybody's hair is, and I'm not mad at a single soul in this room, okay? So I just want to let you know that before we start, and I don't have nobody in mind as I'm preaching, okay? Just want to tell you what the Bible says because we've come to it. But anyway, let's get into it this morning. And let, I said, let's go to the Lord's prayer before we begin, and we'll ask for him to take over and control this thing. Father, we love you. We thank you for this, this day that we've been given to live. Father, what a privilege. What a, what, a, what a gift it is to have life, Lord, and to be able to live in your world. And, and, Lord, to have you as our Heavenly Father. And, Lord, to be able to sit in a church where the truth is preached, where the Word of God lays on the pulpit and is expounded upon. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. Thank you for your Spirit that lives in each one of us. Thank you for the truth that comes forth. Thank you, Father, for the receiving of truth. Holy Spirit of God, thank you that, Lord, we don't even know what to do with some of all this truth. But, Lord, you just filed it away in our hearts. And you've got it there for when we need it. You bring it to our remembrance, and we're thankful for that. And, Lord, as we go into this passage of Scripture, I pray, Father, you give us clarity of mind and heart. Lord, we, do, we just want to line up with you. 
we just want to please you. Father, we just want to understand what you're trying to say to us. Lord, we're not we're not here to to, to uh, try to try to be a tyrant. We just want to we just want to preach the word of God. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you'll please use me this morning to be a blessing, because that's what I want to be. A blessing to the people. Lord, we'll just give you praise and glory ahead of time and, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I think it's probably worth mentioning before we even start. I got a son that long hair. My youngest one has grown his hair out. And he, he's gotten longer as long as mine ever was. And I had long hair. And I and I'm I'm not proud of my long hair and I'm not proud of his. But I still have my son. So so let's just go ahead and I, I just put it out there like that. Amen. All right, let's get into the Bible this morning. Paul says there in, in chapter 11 and verse 1, he makes this statement. It's a powerful statement, but here's something you need to understand. Last week we finished chapter 12, I mean chapter 10. This verse really belongs at the end of chapter 10. I believe that with all my soul because if you read the text, you'll see that. Uh, you know, the chapters and the verses, that's not, that's not inspired, okay? That was placed in there to help with our reading. But I don't think they got that one right when they did that. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't cast a shadow on the King James Bible at all. I'm just saying chapter and verse wise. But we'll we'll address it here. Paul says, "Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ." Now Paul is not saying, "Make me your savior." Paul did not say worship me. He did not say I am as important or, or slightly less important than God. He didn't put himself on a pedestal here. But he said, be ye followers of me. I'm going to lead you. Walk behind me and do what I do as I follow Christ. He didn't say follow every little detail of my life because Lord knows everybody don't want to be a carbon copy of somebody else. He said what I do as I'm serving Jesus you watch, you take note, and you do those things, okay? <clears throat> Why do we do that? Why do we follow Paul? Romans eleven thirteen, Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to, of the Gentiles. So that makes him my apostle. That makes him your apostle because we were Gentiles, amen? And so when we look and see what the Bible says to us, I don't turn back into Joshua and start reading through Joshua to find out what God's saying to me in this day and time. Now, God can certainly speak to me from Joshua, but when I'm trying to get church doctrine, I'm not going to go reading Joshua. I'm not, I'm not going to turn over here and start looking through Habakkuk and trying to find my church doctrine, okay? I'm also not going to look over in the book of Hebrews, which is written to the Hebrews, to try to get my church doc- doctrine. I'm not, going to, I'm, I'm not going to turn to James either, which is written to, to the Hebrews. Actually, those... James is actually uh, written to uh, the, the tribulation saints. There are a lot of books over in the New Testament that are written to the tribulation saints that are not written to us. But when you want to find out what's written to us right now, because we live in the church age, we live in this age of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, it's always been that way. Well, wait a minute. You go back before Jesus came, they were under the law of Moses. They kept the they had to keep the law of Moses, but they couldn't keep it, so they had to come and, and they had to sacrifice a lamb to show them that there was a lamb coming that would take away the sin of the world. And they by believing that, they died in hope, believing that when and when when they came, they, they believed on the Messiah. They didn't know his name was Jesus. They didn't know everything about him and how he was gonna die and all those things, but they knew he was gonna come. There would be a sacrifice for sin, a 
something like about Abraham. He believed God that it was counted unto him for righteousness. He believed with the truth and the light that he had and, and that God has shown him, and God counted it for righteousness. But you and I live in this age of grace, in this New Testament church era, and, and in this time that we live from now until the rapture of the church, we are under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Okay? We are to get our doctrine and, and all of it from the New Testament, for the New Testament church, from the books of Romans to the book of Philemon. Those are the books that, that Paul wrote to the New Testament church. And as far as when we get our doctrine and how we do things, how we conduct things as the church, that's where we get it. Uh, such as, I mean, we get salvation by grace through faith in, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, but any man should boast. That's grace, and we got that in the New Testament era. In, in the Gospels, in the Acts even, works are mentioned. And people read that and they go, that don't make sense. Why is works in here? Well, again, we're talking to Jews who are still under the Old Testament. Because this is something you need to understand if you don't understand this already. The Old Testament wasn't closed about the death of the testator. Now, who's the, who's the testator? That's Jesus. So when Jesus died on the cross, the Old Testament was closed, and the New Testament had blood had begun. You understand? Coming through the Gospels, trying to find the message of salvation, we're going to get confused because there's works mentioned in there. Jesus talking to a man about going selling all he had, and coming back, all there's a lot of confusing things. What are all those things that are pointing to that he is the Messiah? It's not fair to show us that he's going to die on the cross, be buried and rise from the dead. He does mention that, but most of what Jesus said in the New Testament is pointing to the fact that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah that they are to believe on, the one who was to come. All right? So so even in Acts, you've got, you've got Peter telling them, he's saying, uh, well, I'll get to that in well, Acts 2.38. Repent and be you baptized. Okay? He's got baptized mixed in there. Why is that? Well, you remember what John the Baptist was baptizing? What was he doing? He was baptizing. It was a baptism of repentance showing them that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the one you should believe. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one you were looking for. Okay? But the books in this dispensation we live in, this dispensation of grace, are all about believing what Christ has done and receiving the grace that's been given through, through what Christ has done. All right? So, so again, Paul tells us to follow him as he is a follower of Christ. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He says that again in, in, in chapter 4 we read it. In verse 16, he said, Wherefore, I beseech you, or beg you or plead with you, be ye followers of me. And in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17, he says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. In other words, you watch us and you watch everybody else, and you can see the difference, and you'll see how to walk as a believer. So Paul, we're to follow Paul. Well, Paul had a gospel. Amen. If we were to look and find out how to be saved again, we're not to comb. We're not. We're not. It's not to say you can't get saved. You can't find salvation in the gospels. Of course you can, 
But I'm going to tell you that when it comes to how we are saved as believers, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 is the gospel. Paul said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. In other words, you didn't remember what I said, or you didn't get it. He said, you're saved unless that happens. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So it was the same gospel that saved me, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Exactly the Bible prophesied he died that very way, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Again, it's a very plain gospel message based on what Jesus has done. And that's how we look back and see. We believe on what he has done for us. The Jews looked looked at him for who he was, and they believed on him as their Messiah. We look back on him as our Savior. Okay? Galatians 1 and 8 and 9, Paul says this, which is kind of interesting. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we <coughs> have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel uh, unto you other than that you have received, let him be accursed. That means he's going to go to hell. Paul's literally saying he can go to hell if he preaches something else. Now, that's not cursing. He's literally saying that's where he's headed. Amen? So why is he saying this? Well, because you got Jews running around telling them you got to keep the law to be saved. And he's saying, hey, we don't keep the law of Moses to be saved. The law of Moses couldn't save anybody we have. The schoolmaster pointed us Christ. Now, that's what the Ten Commandments were. They pointed us that we needed Jesus. All right? So we're not saved by that. And, and by the way, hey, we're not saved by avoiding the mark of the beast either. We're not going to be in that. I'm not a part of that. And we will live through that. Hallelujah. I thank God for taking this world to the world. I was watching something the other day. It was Bill Gates talking on a video about it. Matter of fact, they blocked it on, blocked it on Facebook. That was the video that I had that blocked. They have now, it goes on the right hand. And it's an electronic stamp, and it has it, it latches into your skin. It says like snake fangs, and it don't come out. And it is it is attached to your skin, and it glows with a bioluminescent uh, stuff called luciferase, which allows it to operate. Sounds like the mark to me. I don't know. I mean, they ain't started applying these things yet, but they've got it, and they want them to. Uh, you know, but again, we don't. We're not saved by avoiding the mark either. I mean, but but again, that's I'm trying like works, but that's the way it'll be during the tribulation. You can't. I mean, you got to believe on Christ, but you can't get the mark either during the tribulation. So again, it's not not the works are not a part of our salvation. Okay, we're saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done. Not not again, not saved according to the Jews way they way they were way they were getting saved in Acts two thirty eight because again, it was all about baptism and remission for remission of sin. Okay. 
So Ephesians 1, 7, the Bible said, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Our, our redemption is paid for by his blood. We know that. But people, some people say, I just follow the teachings of Jesus. That's all I do. I just I just read the words in red. That's all I do. That's a foolish way to read the Bible. And, and I know somebody would say, why? Well, let's listen to what Jesus said. Listen to his words to the Canaanite woman. Remember the woman, she had a daughter, and she grievously vexed with the devil, and she brought her to him. And the disciples said, this woman cries after us. And, 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 and he turned around and talked about her, about her being a dog. Not fit to give the do- the, the, the the bread belong to the children to the dogs. Remember that. Okay. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, "I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel." That's what Jesus said. Only people I'm sent to are the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You say, "Well, what about me?" Well, hold on. Okay, but. All the time that Jesus is preaching, I want you to listen. I want you to hear five times, and I'm not going to read them to you, five times in Matthew 4.23, in Matthew 9.25, Matthew 24.14, Mark 1.14, and Mark 1.15, Jesus mentions the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We're not living in the gospel of the kingdom. You say, where is that at? That is way past the tribulation period, over a thousand years after the tribulation period, in his millennial kingdom. That's what Jesus was preaching about when he came the first time, and they rejected him. He just set it up then, but they rejected him, and they threw him away. And so God said, okay, so if you want my son, I will send him to the Gentiles. And so he called the Apostle Paul to be our apostle, and he sent salvation by grace through faith through the Apostle Paul to you and I. And that's why Paul says, be you followers of me as I am of Christ, because if you're going to get saved, if you're going to get saved in this New Testament era, you're going to have to come through the teachings of the Apostle Paul that the Lord Jesus gave to him. Amen. Listen to what Paul said. Again, I know I've preached this. I've read this to you, but I, again, that's where we're at in the text, so I'm going to hit it again. Galatians 1, 11 and 12, Paul said, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which I preached, which was preached of me, is not after man. Again, didn't get it from nobody else. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus taught him. Romans 12, uh, 2, 16, the Bible said, now listen to this. This is powerful stuff, Romans 2, 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. That's the Apostle Paul. According to my What gospel? That Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the grave according to the Scriptures. And if you didn't come that way by believing that he did that to you, you're not going to go. It's as simple as that. It's why it's by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. Amen. It's as pretty plain as it could be. If, if we as believers in the age of grace wish to learn about Christ, wish to learn the Bible doctrine that Christ says for the church, wish to learn the ordinances that Christ left the things for the church, we've got to listen to the Apostle Paul. He's our apostle. 
So let's get into it this morning, and we'll wrap up the next 20 minutes, all right? Verse 2, he said, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. An ordinance, that's a rule established by an authority. And again, he's our apostle, so he, he has that authority. And he's already, in some examples of these ordinances, he, he's told them sleep on occasion. Okay? That's an ordinance. If you're going to serve God and be a part of his church, you don't need to be fornicating. You need to flee that, get away from it. He's also told them to flee idolatry. If you're going to serve God and be a part of his church, flee idolatry. Those are examples of the teaching of Paul. And again, another one, and we're going to look at one this morning, is order in the church and in the Christian home. Okay? So that's, again, that, and let's get into it. Verse 3, he says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. You think Jesus bristled up, bristles up every time somebody reads that verse? The head of Christ is God? You think Jesus goes, oh, I don't like that. You think some women bristle up when preachers read that verse, the head of the woman is the man? I think some may. I don't know. Hopefully nobody in here, but I, I think some do. But, you know, God is a God of order. God, I mean, everything God does, he does with order. He made, he made man, and man is a logical creature. We're too logical, but we're logical. We'll sit and think about something for six months before we move on it. That's how logical we are. Amen? Hallelujah. But, <laughs> but that's the truth. We are, we are ruled by our logic. Amen? Ruled by reason. And then he made woman a totally different, and she's she's more fragile than a man. Uh, she's a sensitive creature. She's ruled by her emotions and her feelings. My friend Craig Stevens put it eloquently when he said, "He said I am like he said talk about vessels. He said woman being a weaker vessel. He said I am like an old rusty Dutch oven that you set in a campfire. He said you know it stays out in the garage, it's covered in rust." He said, you know, you can bang that thing around, you can hold one the truck. You ain't going to hurt it. Set it on the fire, whatever. He said, that's me. He said, now my wife, she's a crystal vase up on the, up on the mantle. He said, she's lovely to look at. Beautiful. He said, but if she drops, she's going to shatter. He said, that's the difference between men and women. That's the difference between me and her. All right? So there is a difference, and God made us different. He, and, and, and he did that on purpose. Uh but let's look at it. In order, to, in order to look at these next verses between here and verse 16, which is what we're going to run through here at the end of this thing, there's some places we need to look at in the Bible in order to get. It's kind of like putting on a pair of glasses. I can't really see clear right now. Everything's fuzzy when I look at my text. But when I put on the glasses of these scriptures that we're supposed to look at, it should come into view. So I want you to take, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 with me. We're going to turn about five or six places and read some text and stuff them a little bit, and then we'll come back to the end and we'll zip through it, and it'll all should it all should come out real clear. Again, I apologize for this message because it's kind of scrambled and, and runs everywhere, but hopefully we'll get something good out of it. All right, First Timothy chapter two, beginning with verse eight. Again, we're talking about relationships between husbands and wives. Paul, uh, Paul said to Timothy, he said, I will, or, or that's my heart's desire, therefore that men pray everywhere, 
lifting up holy hands, not just lifting up hands, but lifting up holy hands, praying with holy hands without wrath and doubting. So without being angry and without without doubting what God's going to do. What's he describing there? He's describing men being spiritual leaders in their home. Okay, they're they're praying and they they got holy hands and they're 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 following God the right way without being angry and without doubting. All right, and then he says in like manner he said he will that women adorn themselves or, or, or cover themselves, dress themselves in modest apparel, with shamed shamefacedness and sobriety. And I'm sure everybody wants what? Okay, let me let me put it to you a little clearer. That that they do it with modesty and respect without being silly. That's really what that means. In other words, that the shamefacedness, that, that, that means with, with respect to someone and, and not, you know, that, so, so when you meet as a man, I know the men in here understand what I'm saying. When you meet a woman for the first time and she stares you in the eyes a little too hard, it can make you uncomfortable. Why is she looking at me like that? Well, she's, I mean, she's really looking at me. I don't, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. You know, again, there, there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a woman looking me in the eye, but you can stare too hard. You, you can give a vibe off. And, I, and again, I, I think it's what Paul's trying to intimate here is avoiding avoiding any kind of a wrong look, a too long of a look. Uh, when he says shame faces, it just means respect. We're not and, and sobriety, meaning being not silliness, grown up, mature. He said not with broided hair, which means braided up and everything, with gold pearls and costly array. So he said women should be modest, respectful, not silly, and not being showy. That's what he's saying. Men should be spiritual leaders, and women should should control their their outward adornment so as to not to look. Too showy, that's what he's saying. And, and I know the inference here is the temple prostitutes that he's referring to, and he's referring to the way they would dress and the way they would allure men, and he's saying that we should, women should not dress themselves in a way that mimics this world's women in order to allure men with their, with their looks. He says, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Okay, and a woman who professes godliness or follow that godliness up with good works, because again, all the good intentions and the words don't mean nothing if your actions don't back it up. He said, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence for, the, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Now let me just say something real quick. God's not being rude, and Paul's not being rude. When he says that, <clears throat> it sounds like it, I, I know. Sometimes when people read that, it sounds like God, uh, Paul, saying, "Woman, shut up, son, I am." But that's not what he says. What he's saying here's what he's saying. He didn't want a woman to stand up in the middle of church service and say, "Hey, preacher, I want to ask you a question about that right there." Hang on a minute. A man ought not jump up and do that either. But he did not want a woman sitting next to her husband stand up and start asking questions. He's saying. Best thing to do is if she's got a question, when y'all get home, sit down and ask him, and y'all talk about it, and y'all work that out as husband and wife and deal with it. And then, if, and then, and then if she still hasn't got it figured out. He needs that the leader of the family go to the pastor and say, "Preacher, I don't understand what this is all about. Can you help me with this?" Or go to God on behalf. 
the leader of the home like he should be. Because he says, now listen, he says, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. That doesn't mean a woman can't teach kids. Miss Shirley teaches teaches Sunday school in here. I have have full confidence that women are good teachers, but when a child gets to a certain age to where a boy becomes a man, he needs a man to teach him. He doesn't need a woman to teach him. God says there's a reason for that, and the reason is that Adam was the one made first and then Eve. Okay, again, God has order, all right? Romans Romans 9.20, I love this verse. It sure applies to the hour we live in. Nay, but old man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? There's a lot of people today that are men saying, I'm supposed to be a woman. And women say, I'm supposed to be a man. How dare, how dare somebody turn to God and say, what you make me this way? You made a mistake. Okay, God set the order up. God didn't mess up when he made things. God, when he set things in order, he didn't mess up. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Here again, same thing. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. That's referring back to Genesis. Verse 3, 16. Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and conception, in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Again, I'm just the paper boy. I didn't write it. It's in there. Amen. God put that that way for a reason. And again, verse 35 in 1 Corinthians 14, And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. It's a shame because a woman is jumping above the man in her role in trying to get about the things are out of order in God's system. All right? Ephesians 5, 22-33. We're familiar with this one. We read this one quite a bit. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Not, and I heard women say, I don't know him. You don't know him. I live with him. You don't know how he is. Maybe so. And you're probably right. He probably is a handful to live with. I'm a handful to live with. And guess what, ladies? Y'all are a handful to live with, too. We all have a handful to live with. Because we're humans and we're sinners and we all got faults and flaws. I didn't say it. Robert Becker's shaking his head. Trying. He's, trying, he's trying to make things nice, ain't he? But, no, it's, it's true. Because she'll sit here and tell you, I'm hard to live with. And <laughs> she's asking women all the same times a month. In my fact. <laughs> but I know he is, too. So, so, I mean, you know, again, it's not easy. It ain't easy to live with a man, and it ain't easy to live with a woman. That's why God's put all this stuff in here for us. But anyway, let's keep going. All right, so he says that women are submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. So, again, there's authority there. If I follow Jesus and I do what Jesus said, I don't have to worry about it. The devil can say anything he wants to say. She's doing what God told her to do. She's doing it. She's doing it. I'm not fighting with him because he's right. I'm following him because I love the Lord. Because the Lord told me to. Now, let me just say this. If he's abusive, no count, so-and-so, get out of that thing. Separate from him and get away from him if he's beating on you. 
Uh, a woman shouldn't say something like that, and God gives provisions for that, and that's another place in the Bible. We're not here to talk about that this morning. <clears throat> so as Christ, the Bible says, for the husband is the head of the wife. That means he's the leader. He's the authority. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So again, it's a picture. The husband is the leader of the wife. The, Christ is the leader of his church. It's a picture of that. All right? So the Bible says, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, we listen to what he says and we obey him, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That right there is the key to the wife-husband dynamic. Okay? It's, it doesn't say, as the church is subject to the, uh, Christ, let the wives love their husbands and everything. It says, let her be subject to him and everything. It's respect and reverence. That's what that, that's that's what that's what God desires for the woman to show to her husband. But usually that's that's not a problem. Women women know how to love. I know that for sure. I think that's I think that's why God emphasizes the respect part because women know how to love. There's no doubt about it. But again, respect comes a little harder because you're dealing with a man who's a sinner who's flawed. And so Christ is, God's asking you to do something that you're going to need his strength to do. You're going to need his power in order to do. And he says to the husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So men are supposed to literally uh, give their whole life to their wife and, and be willing to die for her. The Bible says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Now, he's referring to the church, but I look at this in the terms of the way a husband's supposed to deal with his wife. He wants he wants to separate her from, from the ways of this world unto himself. He don't want the world to have sway over his wife. He wants, he wants her to love him and him only and, 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 and give her respect to him. So, again, he's to sanctify her by the way he treats her and the way that he loves her. He's to draw her away from everything else to himself and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that's being a spiritual leader to lead her in the ways of God. That's going to keep her out of sin. So he's to do that. That's what Christ does with us. That's what man's supposed to do with his wife. All right? That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Again, we're compar- the comparison here. Again, someday we're going to stand before Christ, and we're going to stand before him in white. We'll be pure and white in his righteousness, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the way a man wants to look at his wife. He doesn't want her spotted to stand up in this world. He doesn't want his wife to be a, a woman about town and, and never knowing where she's at. When she comes home, who she's been with. No, he wants his wife to be pure. He wants her to love and respect, to respect him and give her love only to him. All right? So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. The people take care of his wives. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Ain't that true? You love her, she's going to give you the respect that you desire and need. Okay? For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth, there's those two words, it even as the Lord the church. So what does a woman need from her husband? She leads them to love her and to nourish her with his love. Amen? That's what Christ does for me. And I'm to give God the reverence and respect that he's due. There's your dynamic, all right? For we are all members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, 
and they too shall be one flesh. When 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 I love her like she's supposed to be loved, and she respects me like she, I'm supposed to be respected, man, we are tight, and there ain't nothing can separate that bond. So, he said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and see the wife that she reverence her husband. So he loves her, she reverences him. First Peter 3, 1 through 4. We're almost to the end of this, and we're going to get done and be done. First Peter 3, 1, 1 through 4. Likewise, you wives... Again, this is Peter. This isn't even Paul. This is Peter, but he's in agreement with Paul because the Word of God's in agreement. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And notice it says that to your own husband. Amen? That means don't nobody else's husband got any business telling you what to do. And you ain't got no business uh, answering to them over your husband. Amen? All right, he said that if any obey not the word, they may without, also without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. Very simply, if a man, husband ain't saved and the wife is, and if she loves him the way a wife, Christian wife's supposed to love a Christian husband, even though he's not a Christian, God will use that love that she's showing, that respect that she's showing to her husband, and he will work on that man's heart and lead him to salvation through it by showing him what a Christian looks like, what the love of Christ is. All right, verse 2, and then he says, While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So they see their godliness and the reverence together, and they say, Man, there's something in that woman. There's something in her that wasn't, that wasn't just there because I married her. Amen? And again, verse 3, who's adorning, he's talking about her outward appearance, not just, he was talking about what was inside, now he's talking about the outside. Who's adorning, let it not be that, outward adorning of plaiting the hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel. In other words, outward allure will never speak to the man's need for salvation. It's only speaking to his flesh and to his lusts. That's why that's why it's so important that a woman be modest. Because a man's eyes are drawn to flesh. God made a man with eyes that, that are drawn that way. And he's to keep he's like a covenant with his eyes, the Bible says. The Bible goes on to say there in First Peter three, he said, but he said, but instead of the outward appearance, he said, let it be the hidden man of the heart. It's the inward part, the inward part, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. God says a woman who has a meek and quiet spirit, he said that's that's of great price to me. God values that in a woman. And if that's the case, then that will more than likely show in her outward appearance. Uh, Colossians three eighteen through 19. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Okay? Again, I believe it's, it's right in the Lord for a wife to submit herself to own her husband. But I believe also that a husband, again, I'm, again I, I take this to the abusive part. If he's an abusive horrible man who treats her terrible and, and is violent to her, then again, that's not fit in the Lord. That's not the way God designed it. And in that regard, if she separates from him, she's not held responsible. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. There's a reason why God put that in there too. Because you know what? If our, if our hearts are not yielded to God as men, ladies, hear this and understand this. It might help you. 
if, 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 if our hearts are not yielded to God, then our hearts are not going to be yielded to you. And, and every little thing that you do that we don't like will drive us up the wall and get on our nerves and cause us to feel bitter inside if we don't have the love of God working. If we have the love of God in us, we'll remember that you have need. But if not, we'll get selfish and we'll forget him and we'll treat you ugly. And that's, that's why a man's heart has to be surrendered to God in order for him to, to treat his wife the way he should. But a godly man's going to treat his wife right. Um. But again, he says, love your wives and be not bitter against them. A leader leads. A leader doesn't drive. He leads. You can't drive somebody and expect them to love you. Right? You have to lead them. You have to show them. And a man needs to always remember that he's responsible to his head to follow Christ's example so that the woman can follow the man following Christ, even as we follow Paul. You see what I'm saying? Titus 2, 1 through 5. I'm almost at the end of this, and I'm going to zip through it and we'll be done. All right? Titus 2, 1 through 5. But, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave. Okay? So they're supposed, older men are supposed to be serious-minded, temperate. That means able to control themselves. Found in faith and in charity and in patience. In other words, they, they've been soaking in the Word of God long enough they've absorbed some of it. Amen? It's living through them. Amen? The aged women, the Bible says. Likewise. So they're supposed to have those, those things about them too. He says that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. And I, I look at that and I think, well, that's... That, some women, and I'm not saying all, but I've been around some, they get to a certain age, they are everybody's getting on to the person. And the fact is, a lot of them got a lot of things somebody else get on to them for. I've run across that. Now, I always thought my my, my mama was that way too. <laughs> but anyway, um, but he says that they that they, they're not false accusers. Not given to much wine, shouldn't be drinking. Teachers of good things, a good grandma, in other words, one who wants to help and love and teach. It says that they may teach the young women to do what? To be sober. That means not. That ain't talking about. They ain't talking about alcohol. It means that they grow up. The older women are to teach the younger women. Hey, girl, you got to grow up. You got to run a household. You can't be silly and acting, running around being and. and, and Giggling and just and thinking life's a joke and, and, and playing. You've got things and responsibilities, and you got to teach them. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell you something. Today, there's a lot of girls that ain't getting taught nothing. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to clean. They don't know how to have a relationship. They don't know how to do nothing. But but take a picture of themselves and put on eyelashes, and that's about it. I, I'll tell you, it's where he's in trouble. Men don't know how to change the oil. Women don't know how to raise a home. We're in trouble. But uh, anyway, let me get back to the Bible real quick. All right, so they've been taught to, to be sober, to be mature, to love their husbands. You got to teach a woman to love her husband. You know why? Again, because you're following a man. You got to older women. They've been around. They haven't been through that a while. They can say, "Honey, you got to understand. Sometimes he ain't gonna do like you want him to do, but you got to love him instead, in spite of it, because he's a man. He's just a man. You take him to God and you lay him on God's altar and you give him to God and say, God, you've got to change him because I can't, and God will." They, I'm telling you right now, they, they, this is the truth, and well, this is the truth if I've ever said anything truth in this pulpit. 
if a woman wants a man to change, she needs to get out of the way and turn him over to God wholeheartedly and lay him on God's altar and quit picking him back up. If she'll do that, God will spank his hind end like nobody's business. God will. Because I'm telling you, God set that order up. And when a woman follows it, God will do his, he will do his due diligence in that man's life. All right, so they're to teach them to do that. They teach them to, to love their husband, love their children, to be discreet, which is reserved in their behavior, chaste, which means clean in their living, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, again, to their own, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So if we have the wrong actions, of our, if our heart is producing the wrong actions, we can blaspheme the word of God by our testimony. And we don't want to do that. We need to be careful not to do that. So in light of these passages that we looked at, we're going to get, let's look at the remainder of our text. So we're talking about that verses 4 through 16, Paul's addressing this idea of a head covering, okay? And I really know some cultures that were some wear these little things like a nurse's thing on the back of their head over their hair. And we're not dealing with all this. We're simply, I'm not trying to put us back in the culture of the Corinthian church. But we, we can, again, through what we've seen, the whole love and respect dynamic, I want you to see if we can't get something from this. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoring his head. Now, who's my head? Christ is my head. The head of every man is Christ, right? All right, if I, if I come in this building tonight and I've got on my black cowboy hat, I walk up here to the pulpit and I open with a word of prayer and I preach in my cowboy hat, y'all are going to look at me like a bullfrog in a hailstorm. What are you doing that for? That ain't right. Y'all be like my little girl. That's not right. Does that something ain't right? That's not right. And it ain't right. Matter of fact, a man walks into a building, he'll take his hat off. It's just respect. But. But especially if a listen, if somebody's going to pray, don't be in the ball game. That's why I have to look for that hat up. Why? Because there's respect. Man ought not pray with his head covered. We know that. There's something about that. God, God's going to tell us why here in just a minute, down verse 7. But again, my head is Christ. Verse 5 and 6. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For it is all that. It is all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if, a, it, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now you say, what in the world is all that about? Well, I'll try to make some sense of it. Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Okay? He said, for it's all, it's even all one as if she were shaven. This is describing a woman who's saying, I'm not submissive. Okay? Again, I'm not mad at anybody this morning. I love every one of y'all. Amen? And I, I don't think anybody in here has got a haircut that would fall under what we're talking about here this morning. So I, ain't, I, I don't think we're, we're, we're scrutinizing people this morning. But I want you to understand that what he's saying here. He's saying that, that that covering that God gave a woman, it's there for a reason. It's there to show submission. That's the point of it. Uh, you know, Robert, he ain't showing no submission at all. He ain't got no hair on his head. I ain't barely got none on mine. Scott ain't got none on his. Amen. I think that's probably the reason why men go bald. Amen. It's for that reason. But, but uh, you know, 
but a woman, when, when she, again, if she shaved her head, and that's really what we're talking about. And I do believe that back in that time, in that culture, there were women who wore shaved heads. And they, they probably did it to stand out and be different from everybody else. But she's saying that she's dominant. She's saying that she's more masculine in her actions. Feminist. Funny, but that word feminist really is a woman trying to be more masculine. Kind of, it's kind of interesting that they use that word, but that again, that, that, that's what he said. He said for a woman, if she's not covered, if she's not willing to be submissive, he said, let her go and shave her head. It's almost, it ought to be just like she shaved her head. He said that she's being shameful, acting shameful like a woman with a shaved head. By the way, did y'all know after World War II, over in Holland, there was a bunch of women. When, when the Nazis were occupying over there, a bunch of women, uh, they were afraid for their lives, so they, they got with some of the German soldiers. They started sleeping with them German soldiers, being their girlfriends. And then when the Allied forces uh, with the Nazis, all those women that were checked up with the German soldiers, they took them all out and they shaved their heads. Now, why did they do that? Because it was shameful. That's why. They wanted everybody to know these women are to be shamed because they, they were they were sleeping with the enemy. Again, a shaved head on a woman represents shame. It can, in times past, it's been the punishment for a lesbian and things of that nature. But, but all different reasons, it was a picture of shame. So that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, if she's not, if she's not going to honor her head, not one does she not want to shave her head and look like a man. Verse 7, for indeed, for man indeed ought not to cover his head. Here we go. For as much as he is the image and glory of God. Again, in the in the dynamic of the home, you have the man who represents Christ, you have the woman who represents the church. So again, the man is created the image of God. And so he is he is to not be in a submissive form because he's again, he's the leader of the home. So God designed him to not be covered. Okay, so again, and, and verse 8 says, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Now, the way this world works, they'd have you like a woman was the originator of it all. No, the man was the originator. God made a man. And he said what? It's not good that man should be alone, so I'll make for him a what? A help me. So he took, he, they put him to sleep Open up his side, and he took a rib bone right next to his heart, and he made a woman out of her. So a woman came from the man. All right? And and so that's what he's saying. Listen, God said the man created And he said, neither was the man created for the woman. It wasn't a woman. There. He said, hey, she needs a man. Let's make her a man. No, it's the other way around. But the woman was created for the man. And in verse 10, one of the strangest verses of the Bible, but I think I got it. For this cause of the women to have power on her head because of the angels. Y'all ever read that? Hmm, what was it about? Well, it makes sense if you think about it. Angels, what are they? They're ministering spirits. They are submissive ministering spirits. They submit to God's will and do whatever God wants them to do. So they're submissive creatures. Women are created to be submissive creatures. So Paul's to be saying, it seems to be saying that the angels 
which they were they were tempted before, and there were angels that said, oh, am I right? Okay? So these angels which are submissive creatures see these unsubmissive women. And it like he's saying that an unsubmissive woman could be a temptation and confusion to an angel. And that's what he's saying. There's a reason for that reason, if nothing else. Nevertheless, neither, and again, 11, 12 together, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. I wouldn't be here if that woman sitting back there didn't give birth to me. I wouldn't be there without her, and she wouldn't be here without Adam. So, so neither is the woman without the man, the man without the woman. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. Amen. Again, I just explained that. But all things of God. So in other words, look, you are no more. We're no more important than women. Okay. In the eyes of God, we're all his children. It's not a step down. As a matter of fact, I think it's probably more important than being a man because you've got more on you than a man does. And if it weren't for women, men being a mess. Put it that way. Well, if it wasn't for, for men, women to be a mess. So we need each other. And I believe that's what the Word of God is teaching us here. He said, Judge in yourself. He's bringing this thing in. And he says, Listen, think about this. Consider this. Is it comely? Does it look right that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Would it look right? I'll just be honest with you. When, I, when I'm when i in a store somewhere and I see a woman who has very long hair, I'm not going to And she's dressed feminine. They, that, that looks right. It looks appropriate. When I see a woman who's dressed like a man, Because, again, God God made one a certain way and made the other a certain way. And he says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? I, I, I told you all when I, had my, when I had my many strokes, I was in the hospital. They sent a, looked like a pretty Filipino woman come in the room there to help me. And then I looked down at the name tag and it said Raymond. And he took his mask off and I realized this ain't no Filipino woman. This is a man. With long hair, who looks like a woman from here up. And I'm going to tell you, I want him out of there quick. Amen. <clears throat> but it's, it's not right. It don't look right. I'll tell you, when I see my, my stuff, when I see him, I say to myself, boy, you need a haircut. That don't look right. How many of y'all have been somewhere and had somebody stand in front of you with their back turned and you thought that was a woman and turned around and there's a mustache or a beard or something? And you went, ooh. You know why you went, ooh? Because it didn't look right. That's why. Amen. Uh, again, God made us a certain way. And, and, and if the Bible says that if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. Again, it, it's beautiful. It's God gave it for glory. And, I, again, I realize some women have thin hair. My wife's talking about this. She's a beautician. Some women have thinner hair, and they just can't grow their hair out long like that. And I understand all that. Again, that's why I ain't fussing at nobody. It's between you and God, your heart. It's about the inward part. That's what we were talking about, the love and respect. This is, this is showing what's on the outside. That's just showing what's on the inside. So he said, he's finishing this up. He says, so you see that, that it don't look right when a woman looks like a man. It doesn't look right when a man looks like a woman. He said, but if any man, anybody wants to fight about it, if any man seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither in the churches of God. 
he said, you know, if somebody wants to make a big deal fight about this, hey, all I can tell you is this. We, we don't do it that way, and ain't nobody we know does it that way. That's what he's saying. But here's what I'm going to wrap this up, and I want, I, want to, I want you to think about something. Why is this important? He said, preacher, why would you waste the whole sermon on this? I didn't waste it, but I'm going to tell you why I preached it like I did. Consider the hour of gender confusion we live in. Consider, consider what the world is doing around us. And surely, if anybody is going to try to turn back to traditional biblical roles and standards, if anybody wants that for things to get back to the way they used to be, the way things should be for our families, in our churches and public worship, surely the God, God's people ought to want that. And we ought to examine our hearts. If our hearts are right, as far as our dynamic, if you're in a marriage relationship, is your heart right with your spouse and with God? Are you showing to the world what the world ought to say? Because the world is watching you, because the world knows you're a Christian. And the world sees the way you look and the way you act and the way you conduct yourself. And all of that has, a, has, a, it has an impact on the world around you, whether you are a good a submissive wife, or you're a good, leading, godly husband. It all matters. So when we boil this message down to its bare essence, here's, here's what I come up with. Number one, are we knowledgeable about how God expects us to live in this day as husband and wife? And we should be. We've read it today. We got it if, if we, we heard it. Second of all, do we understand the weight of that testimony? We've got young people coming up after us who are watching us, and what they see is what they're going to mimic. And I, I mean, I tell people all the time that I counsel with about marriage because I can't. I mean, I've got friends and people contact me that I talk to, know anything about that are going through all kinds of uh, divorce and marriage problems. They, I, they ain't connected to this church, but they know me from the internet, so they talk me, and we talk. And I, I and, and I, I tell them over and over: your children watch you, your children hear you. Everything they hear come out of your mouth, they'll repeat someday to their spouse. If you want them to have a happy marriage, then you need to show them what one looks like. And you do that by honoring God. Wives respecting their husbands. Husbands loving their wives the way they should. Paul is, is answering questions about gender roles and leadership. And th- these things are important in our homes and in our church. And you know... God, God don't really care how you did it up north, how you did it out west, how you did it back east, or how they do it down south. God wants it done the way it's done in the Word of God. doesn't matter what this world does. It doesn't matter how this world changes. What matters is what does the Word of God say. And God wants order. He wants order in his people. He wants order in his church. Now, I'll close with that verse on that, 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Let's stand together. God wants us to God wants us to to follow him. And God wants our lives to show that we do. Amen. All right, let's get ready to go to the house this morning or this afternoon. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Robert dismisses. Amen. We're going to have no invitation this morning. I'm going to let y'all get out of here before the bottom falls out. Amen.